Good morning, Grace Covenant. Good morning. And those of you on live stream, I'm Steve, the interim pastor. Hey, before the kids take off for Children's Church, we're going to show a, a short video per, pertinent to the sermon that I think, I think they might enjoy. You could, parents could talk about it at home later. But then before that, uh, I want to mention just a couple things. Uh, first of all, so good to see John Martinez back there. Um, he's had to be away for uh, quite some time, but it's good to have him and his daughter, Renee, right? And, and then also, Chris Norberg got through her heart procedure. <clears throat> and this morning she biked, what was it, 40 miles this morning, Chris? Or, or uh, we'll, we'll hold off on that a little bit, but uh, we're so thankful. We praise God that, um, that uh, she's doing well. And then I, I want to give you some sad news. A few of you at least know Tom and Linda Collins. Tom was the pastor here 20-some years ago. Uh, Thursday, his wife Linda passed away uh, from heart failure. And, and as you may know, Tom himself is, um, it has advanced MS. So they've been through a lot, and uh, he'll need to find some, some other place to live because she's, she had been his primary caretaker. So let, let, let's pause right now and lift him up. Uh, Lord, um, whether or not we know Tom, I happen to know him, but we, we lift him up and his family, and, and we ask that in this uh, sudden loss that, that you draw close. You are with them, but show them, Lord, the mercy of your comfort, your peace, and we do ask that you provide uh, uh, whatever is needed for Tom's own care. And, uh, oh, Lord, we, we, and we thank you for the, the great ministry that they had with, here uh, for many years at Grace Covenant. Um, Lord, as we uh, look to your word now, as the uh, children have their time together, we, we ask that you be at work, that you speak, that we hear you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, so we'll, we'll let the kids go in a second, but uh, we've been in this series about David, the great shepherd, singer, warrior, king, and, and kind of framing his vivid, long story in the Bible in terms of a prayer he had where he said, uh, Lord, you are my God and my times are in your hands. And we're raising the question, what about our times? Any particular day, this week, this season of life, whatever it might be, the, time, the historic times in which we live, can we see it as in God's hands? And today the question I want to raise is, what about the times uh, when it's a time for battle? A time for battle. And because uh, we all have them. So um, all of you, including the kids, see if you can spot who's who in this little clip from the Bible. Here do I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Ah! 
Israel has found a champion! <laughs> Don't waste my time, little boy. You're too young to die. I will fight you! We'll leave out the uh, what then happened, especially for the sake of kids and maybe for others too. Kids, head off to Children's Church if you want. God bless you and have a great time together. And if the rest of you would find a Bible, let's look at the story of who had the slingshot? David. David fighting. A couple little known facts, um, and this is. 1 Samuel 17 in the Bible. Why don't you find that and look at it directly? Little known fact that David did have a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, uh, the name Goliath literally means Grinch. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I didn't either because it's not true. Um, <clears throat> just thought of that when Kelly was giving the announcement. <laughs> uh, both were bullies, let's put it that way. Um, one of my, let me just tell you a personal story. One of my favorite memories growing up was the great times a bunch of us had in our neighborhood in our fairly large backyard in southeast Denver. And, uh, you know, we were baby boomers, so there were thousands of kids, it seemed. And so we would do backyard sports, baseball, football, track and field. We had our own Olympics pretty much every summer. And one especially memorable day was when we decided to have a boxing tournament. And we set it up so that little Doug O'Blake was fighting the neighborhood bully, Gary. Now, Gary was uh, two years older than Doug. He probably outweighed him by 50 pounds, and he was 10 times meaner. But what we did was to arrange for Gary to lose. Now, this took a lot of guts on the part of little Doug, but um, here's how we did that. I was the referee, and we arranged for Gary to lose on points so that um, I had a blind eye to every time that Gary hit Doug. I had an eagle eye every time Doug barely tapped Gary, and Doug won. I held up his hand, the winner. And I tell you what, it was terribly unfair. But it was really satisfying. <laughs> it's just a good thing that I was a really fast runner because Gary chased me around for about 20 minutes. Uh, now, don't, don't, don't you kind of love stories where the underdog beats the big, powerful guy, you know? I mean, really, so many movies are all about that. You know, Luke Skywalker. Uh, you know, manages to um, defeat the evil empire with his comrade, comrades and so on. 
and, and even before Darth Vader was the evil, monstrous bully, as a little kid, probably give it, spoiler alert, uh, when he's cute little Anakin, he's the hero against you know, the dark side of the force. Um, another example would be the Colorado Rockies beating any team at all, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, we watch it this summer. Amazing! They want to, uh, okay, I won't go there. But then you've got little David with his slingshot uh, bringing down big, bad Goliath. Now, I'll tell you what, this, this story is so familiar, I dare say anybody, in, in our culture at least, anybody, even if they've never been to church a day in their lives, and they're not Christ followers, they've heard this story about David and Goliath, right? And sometimes things like that are so familiar it seems like just a story. And, and you can really kind of miss the, the depth, the breadth of this as God's word. Um, 11 years ago, Darlene and I took a three-week class in Israel. It was one of the greatest experiences of our lives. And, and so we went with um, the group of students to the Ella Valley where this standoff between Israel and Philistines took place. And I've got a picture of Darlene. This is the actual stone that David used to, to bring down Goliath. Now, actually, the professor explained to us that, um, that every year the Israeli government needs to bring in huge truckloads of stones into the valley for all the tourists who want a David souvenir. They, they literally cart them in. There really aren't that many in the valley. You know, David found five. But uh, they, they bring in huge loads. I mean, it wasn't hard for us to find one, <laughs> thanks to the Israeli uh, government. But, but here's the thing. This, this um, I believe this happened. And I believe it's God's word. And so a question for us is not just, well, that was a cool underdog beating the giant story. But uh, I want to do this in real life, in our lives. Do, do the underdogs, can they win? in real life. And can we win <laughs> in our lives? Um, life, life has lots of battles, right? Lots of battles. Uh, some minor, some enormous. Uh, some are really clear confrontations with a definite uh, enemy. Uh, I'd love to have my wife's picture up, but I'll just go past that. But. Um, some battles are clear confrontations with a definite enemy. I mean, you're dealing with um, a particular disease. Uh, maybe it's some evil behavior out in the world. Some, some battles are um, much more ambiguous. There's, the enemy's kind of vague. You're just sort of stressed, you know. You might be indecision, fatigue. But e either way, we've all got some battles. We've got some giants, if you will, in our lives, and that's when we can feel really small and weak and, and wonder, is there any way we can be on the winning side? Well, well, think, just think, even pray for the Spirit to help you, but think as specifically as you can of the particular battles you're facing against what particular kinds of giants, if you want to use that imagery, and you just want to place, place those into the light of this story, this happening that we see in God's word and uh, listen for what the Lord has to say.
But uh, first of all, let's set the stage for what actually happened. So 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines, that was a coastal, uh, across the Mediterranean, coastal power that uh, as yet the Israelis, Israelites had not overcome. But they gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, uh, Damim, between Soka and Ezekiel. There'll be a quiz later on all those places, okay? But Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Okay, now, how big is this man? Well, a cubit back then was, was from the elbow to the tip of um, the, the middle finger. And so, um, from my wife, that's about a foot. For me, it's closer to two feet. But um, back then, when, when the average height of a man was about five feet, and we know this from skeletons and so on, uh, we've all, all gotten somewhat taller, but uh, that, that meant about 18 inches or so, all right? Now, a span is the distance between the tip of your thumb to the little finger, which happens to be about half a cubit, all right? So in other words, about nine, 10 inches, something like that. And, and especially then and there, that, that puts Goliath at a, over nine feet tall. And, and there have been people in contemporary times who've been that tall, especially related to some medical disorders, and there's even a tiny bit of evidence that Goliath had some of that. Uh, there are the, the very oldest, oldest biblical manuscripts discovered at the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, the Dead, famous Dead Sea Scrolls, that actually uh, have Goliath at more like a little over seven feet tall. Uh, well, either way, either way, you know, either way, whether it's seven or nine feet tall, this is one big dude. Um, and especially when the average height of a man was about five feet. If you look, go on to look at verse five and seven, it describes his massive, massive armor, but we're going to jump down to verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? That's the king. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill you, you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, King Saul, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And then jumping down to verse 16, for 40 days... The Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, what I'd like to do with the rest of the story here is make, make four observations. Here's the first of four observations to think about. And the first one is this. In our battles, and think about your own battles right now with whatever giants. First one is giants can beat us before the battles even begin. It's called intimidation. Giants can beat us before the direct kind of battle even begins. Um, you know, we all face a variety of giants, some big, some small. But in a lot of ways, the biggest giant of all is our own fear. 
that, that's what can bring us down in and of itself. Um, you can lose battles from within before you kind of directly take on whatever seems to be an external threat. I heard of a woman whose sister had died of cancer, and so she herself got sick and just assumed she had cancer, and she wanted to die at home, so she just stayed home constantly and ate less and less and didn't take care of herself. And, and her husband um, finally then took her to the hospital, his emaciated wife. They ran tests. She didn't have any cancer at all. She just had loads and loads of fear that made her so terribly ill. Now, listen, it's, it's, not, it's not that fear is your only enemy. It's not that the, these giants you're up against are imagined. They can be, but, but so often they're not in your imagination. It's just this, that when you cave in, and it's, we all do it, but when you cave into the intimidation, the, the, the fear factor, um, well, those giants, they're real. They get even bigger in their effect on us. Okay, so that, that's, that's just something we got to be aware of, and, and maybe there's something here, you know? You, you just need to, not, not as a sin so much, but, but just say, Lord, I, would your love cast out this fear I have? It's really got a grip on me. I mean, fear, it's, it's instinctive, you know? It's even a defense mechanism in some respects, but it, when it looms so large, it controls us. It is an enemy, and, and, and it does step into a sin of, Concentrate on that instead of God. We'll get back to that in a little bit. So maybe that's just something you need to kind of think about and place before God. Now, here's a second observation that we're going to see as we continue with the story. Uh, the voices of some supposed allies, people on our side, uh, some can lower our confidence and raise our fears. So here's, here's how the story goes. Um, well, before we read... Uh, as you may know, David's very young. We think he's probably a teenager. And his dad has asked him to take some food and supplies to David's three oldest brothers who are serving in the army. And, and so he, he goes up to uh, the hillside where they are. And um, he hears Goliath. He sees this guy out in the valley. And he starts asking questions. Um, who is this turkey? And kind of implying that, what's wrong with you cowards? And, and that's when there's a little dialogue that goes on. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger, because David's asking everybody, you know, what's going on here? Uh, and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom do you, did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Does that sound like a big brother or what? Um, I'm an oldest brother. I hate to admit that. But. 29, now, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Does that sound like a little brother or what? Yeah. Well, then David um, is saying that he wants to volunteer, and Saul, King Saul gets word of this. and Saul is just, King Saul is just scared out of his mind. And he says, hey, if there's anybody willing to volunteer, I'll at least listen to him. And so um, David volunteers and says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. 
You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. You see how people on David's side are, they're bringing him down. And so here's what happens with us. Count on it when you face giants. There'll, there'll be somebody, somebody who'll say, you can't deal with that. You don't have what it takes. You're too young to whatever to deal with this. Um, I saw a birthday card. May your birthday be less rotten than it probably will be. <laughs> wow, yeah. But you, you, know, you know those voices? How they come? And, and yeah, sometimes you need to listen to them. Sometimes they're just plain realistic. They're wise. But sometimes they're just, they're just assuming the absolute worst about anything and everything, including you. And it's not that you totally dismiss them, but I think the question to raise is, are they the only voices I should listen to here? Because sometimes that's what we do. We just latch onto them. And we attend to those who say, you can't, you're too whatever to deal with this. And, and uh, might God, might God have something to say? And should we listen to him more than we listen to those other voices? Okay, something to consider there. Here's a third generalization from this great story. Some allies, some, some others, will push us to fight with the wrong weapons. So um, Saul finally says, okay, 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 you can go fight, but he probably talks to his lawyer who says there's some liability issues here. And so um, he dresses David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor, armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword, Saul's sword, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. In the, in, in the original, it kind of implies um, he couldn't even walk with all this heavy armor. And um, I would just say this, that uh, when we're dealing with whatever, various kinds of struggles, we can get so armed, so to speak, <clears throat> with advice, help, plans, tools, you can hardly walk. You just get paralyzed with, my gosh, I've got... I've got 20 people telling me what to do here. And, and I, I have no idea what to do. I, I can't even kind of hold this all in my, my head. <clears throat> it's good to get help, but sometimes there's such a thing as getting too much. And again, the fear is the problem. Get so desperate, so desperate to deal with whatever the problem is, whatever the giant might be, <clears throat> that you actually get over-equipped with tools. And ironically, all these external tools that you start taking in, all this advice and so on, um, you actually uh, lose sight of the strengths you do have because you're trying to appropriate all these external kinds of things. And, and uh, again, I wonder if that's something we need to face and place before God. So David throws off Saul's helmet, armor, shield, and sword, and he goes down into the valley, and what's he do? He goes into the river bank, and he finds five stones, and he's got his sling, and uh, he's already used this against some wild animals, guarding the sheep and so on, but he goes down to face Goliath with the five stones and sling, but mainly he goes down with a trust in God. He goes down with a trust in God 
who's with him and goes before him. So let's, let's look at what happens, and especially, this is the, the heart of the whole story, listen to what David has to say to this bully Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come, to me, come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know, this is a key line, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved close to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then he does, in fact, cut off Goliath's huge head. Friends, if there's, if there's one thing that I, I hear when I read this story, if there's one thing I hear from God, um, and, and this is the last and the big observation, it's the declaration of David, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Would you repeat that with me? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Uh, when we're in the fight, can we know that God's there fighting too? He's with us. He goes before us and he wins. Now, it's important to know what win means. All right? This is really important. And, and so let me just point out a few things even from this story. Uh, a, it's for his glory in the world beyond just us. So a win is not just that, oh, cool, I'm safe. Oh, great, I'm healthy. I mean, God wants all that, all right? I'm not dismissing that. But it's bigger than that. There's a purpose bigger than that, an outcome bigger than that. It's not just for us. It's for God's glory in the world. Uh, as David says to Goliath, it's so the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is a missionary story. This is a mission story. This, this battle was not just so a little tiny nation called Israel would not be bullied around as much. It was to bear witness to the glory of a great and good God. And that rings all the way through Scripture. That's what, out of love, that's what God's ultimate desire is. And, and so when we fight the battles and we say the battle is the Lord's, just know that that's where it's headed. It's moving toward his glory 
in us and for us, but also beyond us. It's important to see that. And it's also important to see how, how God um, carries out his battles for that ultimate purpose. And it's not by mere human means. It's not by our strength, our wisdom. Those may get used by God, but it's, it's not, as David said, it's not by the, the sword. It's not even by his sling and stones. Ultimately, it's what God himself is doing through David. Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, Be strong in the Lord. In the context is we do have struggles. But then he says, for one reason, to know your strength is in the Lord, not in yourself. It's because our struggle, it's not just against flesh and blood, something that maybe you can kind of manage with your own weapons and wisdom. It's against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You can't handle that on your own. It's not that everything's caused by the devil, but the the evil one exploits everything in our lives. And and, and he'll he'll deflect us from the real battle. He'll he'll, uh, make things worse. He'll, He'll even hide how bad it actually is. Anything, anything that will, will distract us and pull us away from God himself. And, and so the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's in that ultimate kind of battle for the purpose of his glory in the world. And it all points to this. As we face the battles, we've just got to focus our attention and trust on him got to focus our attention and trust on him just day by day, constantly, constantly growing in that. Uh, when we've got battles with, with giants that are uh, making their threats and stirring up fear, uh, when we're around people who just say, well, just give up, you just you can't do this, um, or others pushing us to, well, here's, here's 80 solutions for you. Here's a bunch of human weapons. You just, some of that may be valid, but you need to focus your attention and trust on the Lord specifically on the risen Jesus Christ who has defeated nothing less than death itself. A victory that we will inherit anyone who's put trust in Jesus. The ultimate win. You know how Jesus talks about um, mountain-moving faith? With faith you can move mountains. Well, let me tell you how mountain-moving faith grows. It's where you get your gaze, your attention, and so your trust off the mountain. You don't you face it. You don't deny that it's there. But you don't concentrate on it. You don't give all your thoughts to that. You don't even put your gaze on your own faith. That's like a dog chasing its own tail, really. It's putting faith in your own faith. That'll get you nowhere. Like, I, I have enough faith that I have enough faith. That's, that's as silly as trying to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Isn't that a funny phrase? That's impossible to do, but we use that phrase. Uh, don't put your faith in your own faith. No, you, you give your attention, your gaze, your thoughts, your attention, um, not on the mountain or your own faith, but on the mountain mover. Trust that he'll do it in his time and his way. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Carl Walenda. He was one of the world's greatest tightrope walkers. And 1978 in Puerto Rico, he 
He fell 75 feet to his death. His wife, who also was, uh, had the same kind of gig, she said that three months before he died, she noticed something different in her husband. That when he practiced, he was concentrating on not falling instead of walking across the wire. He was concentrating on how can I avoid falling instead of just getting across. And when I heard that, I thought, yeah, that's, that's something, that points to something about my faith. Um, do I have my eyes fixed on Jesus? Again, without, without denying, you've got to face the problems. You've got to face the mountains. You've got to face the giants. But you don't focus on them. You don't dwell on them and so dwell in those problems. You abide in Christ. And folks, this is a very practical day-by-day thing. It means, it means to, to give, when you give center place to, to God, to, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, you, you, it means you daily open up the scriptures, you saturate your mind with his word, you, you choose, even in hard times, you choose to give thanks and to praise and praise to him. You surround yourselves with people who are followers of Jesus who can give you encouragement and accountability. It, it means that you, you step out You step out into living out his love wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Um, So, big question today is what are the battles you're facing? And then, whose battles are those? Are they yours? Or are they his? The one who's with you. Can we... Say that line again. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Let's pray. Lord, we know that this side of the resurrection, um, we will have battles. You said it, Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. And you weren't being gloomy. You were just being truthful. And uh, we know that. And um, we can't pretend it's not so. And for some of us, the battles are fairly minor right now, and others, they're just severe. And maybe we're in battles we're not even aware of, battles with the evil one. He's doing more than than we'd like to think. But we thank you, we praise you, Lord, that uh, you fight for us. You won the victory when you defeated the evil one in death and your cross and resurrection. And, and, and one day that, that'll be completed, that'll be consummated in, in a whole universe that's made well, and we with it. But in the meantime, Lord, we thank you that we have the gift of your spirit. I ask that day by day you'd remind us that in whatever the battles we face that they're so hard, would you remind us that you're for us, with us? Would you remind us that you have purposes that, that are deeper and bigger than our mere um, immediate kinds of outcomes that are so desirable. Uh, those are not unimportant, Lord, but remind us that to look at the long haul, to look at the big picture, to, to just trust, Lord, that there's some ways you can glorify yourself in the midst of the fight. And I pray that we could step into that and desire that and pray for that. And, uh, of course, enjoy the the victories as they come, but also have our eye on the, the biggest victory of all, which is you reconciling this, this world to yourself. 
Lord, I, I do lift up um, anyone here who is just so overwhelmed by a battle that um, it's, it's really difficult to see, uh, Lord, uh, any kind of victory. And draw close to them, Lord. Give them your encouragement. Give them hope. Give them the, uh, the means, the, the strength to take the next step following you, whatever that might mean. And help us to help each other to be prayerful, to be encouraging, uh, to call each other into the highest calling of following you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm no longer slave.